The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management, or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Greetings, listeners in listener land. This is Arnold Strucker with Mark Langston of St. Louis In Tune. We are glad that you joined us today. In Tune is a two-hour weekly broadcast which focuses and reflects on issues that impact and connects our community and the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, and justice. Today, I invited Sylvia Jackson. She's the executive director of the Women's Safe House back. Sylvia was on the show back a couple years ago, and that show, I re-listened to it last night. It is one of our top five shows because of the importance of the topic, and the importance of the topic is domestic abuse. It is uh, that kind of uh, heinous kind of thing that goes on, and we're going to get into some details of that. Sylvia, welcome back. Thank you, Arnold. I'm glad to be here and be a part of um, the St. Louis Intune listener audience. Well, it's good to talk to you again, and we had a little bit of time before the show began to get reacquainted, and why don't you give folks a little background again of yourself so they know who you are? Oh, I'm glad to do that. So um, I am Executive Director of the Women's Safe House, which is the oldest and largest provider of safe shelter, emergency services, education, advocacy for women and kids fleeing from the real threat of violence in the home. Now, I've been with the agency for, oh gosh, I'm going to date myself here, um, for 17 years, and I tell you, um, what's happening now is probably one of the biggest crises, um, and even though this is um, crisis work, um, one of the the biggest crises that has affected our work uh, ever. Yeah, I think that's the main thrust of why I wanted to have you back on, because when there's not a crisis, things are bad enough. But in this COVID-19, I'm sure you have seen an uptick in the amount of calls and the desire for some services that are needed. So uh, I don't want to postpone that, but I want you to describe to people exactly what the Women's Safe House does specifically, because there are other groups out there, and you uh have a unique ministry there at the Women's Safe House. Yeah, you know what? It's um, one of the things about the Safe House that I think is a little bit different from just general emergency shelter um, or general shelter uh, for domestic violence survivors is, um, you know, that we were actually founded on the basis and foundation of safety and empowerment. You know, the founding mothers were really kind of all about making sure that We were a place, a nurturing place that provided not just physical safety, but also emotional safety. Uh, Keeping with the physical safety, you know, we um, have an intricate um, system of, um, you know, safety, including, um, you know, a surveillance system that's a 32-camera system. We've got panic buttons um, located at various, you know, junctures around the house. Um, that we also have what we fondly call our man trap, but, you know, it really is a vestibule in the front so that if a uh, perpetrator does get into the facility, um, that person is not in the building. They're actually in the vestibule, allowing us time to um, exit uh, women and kids uh, or get ourselves out of the line of danger um, while we get the police in the house. 
The house has a number of programs. So the residential services program, kind of like our meat and potatoes. You know, we uh, bring women and kids um, into the house. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those things, um, Arnold, that you don't think about. Kind of like, um, I don't know, the Underground Railroad, if you would, because women don't come directly to the safe house. They actually go to a drop-off point. They're then brought from the drop-off point um, to the house, you know, in order to keep um, women and kids safe, you know, to keep the address confidential. Women get into the house, um, and then they work communally with folks that they don't know. Now, what's unique about our program is that the safe house offers suites of homes with generally two family sources. So if you think about general shelter, you know, usually it's, you know, a big room um, or a dormitory style. Um, so the founding mothers really thought through how they wanted um, the safe house to look and how they wanted to be able to offer a nurturing environment. So the residential program provides at least all the basic needs, right, um, food, clothing, personal hygiene items. Um, there's a laundry on site, a computer lab. Um, and then our children's program, which really focuses on primary prevention for children and youth that have witnessed domestic violence in the home. Now, your audience might be surprised to hear that about 20,000 kids actually witness domestic violence in the home right here mm. in the St. Louis region. Oh. Isn't that an amazing yeah. number? It's a terrible number. You know, it's it's Here's hard to believe that that that, that that is that high, but, you know, when you yeah. consider, you know, I remember listening last night to that first interview, how many people you turned away oh. in one year. It was like, where do they go? You know what, I got back into the abuse, and that's why I'm so glad to have the opportunity today to talk about the impact of COVID-19. But I do want to say that on any given night in St. Louis, the St. Louis region, there are more children, domestic violence shelter, than there are women, Hmm. because women come with two to five kids, right? You know, so we've got, um, we have a big problem. We don't have enough shelter beds. Um, for domestic violence survivors. We've got about 156 total beds in the famous region on any given night for domestic violence survivors. So in addition to that, we also have, um, you know, an intensive case management component as part of our residential program. We offer um, what we call our flagship, which is the aftercare program. Now, this program is really a 12-month post-shelter but once she's been in shelter for anywhere between 10 to 14 weeks, and women stay up to 14 weeks. Now, women who come in shelter with their children, guys, they actually have very, very thin support systems. Because, you know, if somebody can stay in shelter for up to 14 weeks, they got a lot more going on than just domestic violence. Right, right. A lot of times it's poverty, wow. um, unemployment lack of access oh, yeah. to um, medical services. But under our rules, we also have something called Hill Clinic, which is a clinic on site for healthcare, operated by um, IFM, which is a family medical practice. Um, so in addition to, you know, our aftercare program, which for us, we call it our flagship because it provides that continuity of case management that was started in-house, up to 12-month post-shelter. It also has some month-to-month peer-to-peer counseling, and it's got um, a pretty good financial assistance component. 
you know, where we're able to help women defray some of those financial constraints that lead you back into homelessness, such as the first and last month's rent or utility arrearages. Um, you know, we can help you um, get your uniform if you start a new job. We can help you with that relocation cost if necessary. You know, when um, I... We even have the woman buy a car. Well, that, that's... Need a, you, need a, you need transportation. You need a car to really work nowadays. That people forget that. You know, it's, it's almost like there's... Car for many people. There's two steps to this. There's the woman calling the hotline, or maybe three steps, calling the hotline, getting information, making the commitment, the personal commitment, and, and the risk to leave the abusive situation, and then three, to really gain some confidence back through the programming that you offer and through the, um, the education that you do and supporting their, their family, That's getting exactly their feet back right. on the ground. That's exactly right. You know, when she makes that first step to call, Man, that's kind of like, I mean, that's it, you know. I mean, when she, but, you know, on average, women go back about seven times before they actually sever um, a domestic abuse, abusive relationship. So mm. when she makes that step, she makes that brave first step to call that 24-hour crisis intervention hotline. Well, man, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we do everything we can from the time she calls the, calls the hotline until her, you know, stay in residency at the house through um, the 12-month post-shelter aftercare program to help her to break that cycle of violence that she and her children have lived in, you know, that intersection of domestic violence, trauma, uh, and homelessness. Now, I have a question. Uh, This will be very simple. It will seem simple, but it's not. Describe exactly what domestic violence is and the types of domestic violence, because I think what we think of a lot is what we see on the television or the media where somebody's getting hit or slapped around and there's more to it than that? That's a good question. I I really, that's a good one because I think that the listening audience, you know, as as most of us, um, don't understand what domestic violence is really all about and don't understand how to intervene as a bystander. So thank you for asking that. So, you know, the physical abuse that we see often, you know, um, is domestic violence, but that can be the tip of the iceberg, depending on the relationship. You know, domestic violence is mostly power and control. You know, it's really about psychological and emotional power over your intimate partner. Um, domestic violence is financial abuse. You know, believe it or not, um, most women stay because of the finances. You know, he controls the purse um, and she stays. Um, domestic violence, and we're all adults here, is sexual assault. You know, I mean, anytime something doesn't feel right and you're made to um, behave, if you would, for lack of another word, um, right. to meet another person's um, power over you, that's domestic right. abuse. You know, love doesn't hurt. We, we, we say that all the time. You know, love, love doesn't hurt. Um, and when you're in an abusive relationship, you get confused about what love should look like. And so one of the things that we do at the house is we spend a lot of time talking about healthy relationships, you know, talking about what is and what isn't domestic violence and how to recognize battering when you see it. Because, you know, people think battering is always physical. 
Yeah, you're recalibrating people's emotions and uh, intellect uh, about what what a real relationship should be like. Right, right. So we've got a life coach on staff, um, and that life coach is really, I mean, who doesn't want a life coach, right? Um, yeah, you know, really, yeah. I'd love to have a life coach, right? Um, (laughs) You know, what happens is, um, you know, domestic violence survivors, you know, many domestic violence survivors, you know, have said to us, well, you know, I I don't need a therapist. You know, I'm not crazy. I'm a domestic violence victim. I live in a violent environment, but I'm not crazy. I don't need a therapist. But when you talk about a life coach, you know, they're like, yeah, because I want to share what's going on in my life with someone, you know, the thing about it and who is, you know, an LPC, by the way. Um, so, you know, when we, when we talk about violence against women um, and, and girls, we, we often think, you know, that domestic violence programs are some sort of violent expert. Well, we're not. We're crisis interveners. We know how to intervene in a crisis. We know how to move the needle and move you forward. She's the expert on her own violence. So what we try to do through an individually defined advocacy model, we try to say, okay, tell us about your violence. What, what's happening? How long have you been in it? Why do you keep going back? You know, because the thing is, she has a reason why she keeps going back, and it's not what we think. It's because she's the expert on her own violence. And once she shares that information with us guys, we try to put together what we call an individual strategy plan, and each plan is different, right? That's based on... What are the best options for her? You know, we don't use that old social work, you know, model. You know, the, you know, the one where, you know, if you behave, we'll give you a, a carrot. You know, if you act right, we'll, we'll get you housing. No, we use a whole harmless model. You know, and we're saying we're going to hold you harmless because of some things that have happened in your life, whether it's childhood, you know, adverse childhood experiences, you know, or, um, you know, lack of opportunity. But we're going to say to you, we're going to provide you with the best option available in this in this region based on what you've shared with us. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis In Tune. We're talking to Sylvia Jackson. She's the executive director of the Women's Safe House. And Sylvia, this COVID-19 situation, pandemic that we've been going through, uh, how has that specifically impacted what you are doing at the Women's Safe House? Mm-hmm. Thank you for giving us a chance to kind of talk about that. So we looked at our statistics, right, from on our crisis intervention hotline from March 2019 and compared those against March, 20, um, March 2020. And we've had a 44% increase in calls to our crisis wow. interve- intervention hotline um, wow. during that period. And the calls have not just been for shelter. The calls have been for community resources. You know, what's available in the, in the, in the community um, for prevention counseling? Hey, look, I'm scared to leave the house, you know, um, because of COVID-19. I'm scared to stay because of domestic violence. So, you know, please help me to understand, you know, what can I do um, if I'm in a domestic violence abusive situation and I'm quarantined? You know, so, um, so most of our calls, you know, have centered around that. When, you know, we got involved in the, the, the you know, the, the, the full-fledged, um, you know, crises, we had to look at social distancing in the congregate setting. And how does that happen in a congregate setting? You know, I mean, there was like not a, there was not a, 
playbook that would help us figure it out. So we had to figure out, let's send the, the shelters out. And we're doing that all over St. Louis and St. Louis County. All the emergency shelters said, first thing to do is send the shelters out. Get to a reasonable number of people in shelter. And for us, what that meant was because we offer suites of rooms to get us down to one family per suite. Now, that didn't mean discharging people indiscriminately. You know, it meant those that were on the borders of getting housing, pushing that through, making sure that they were able to leave the shelter with housing, you know, and then not accepting anybody else in shelter. So we've not accepted anybody in our facility since March 13th. Oh, that's um, and, Yeah. And then thinning out the shelter, um, getting down to one family per suite. Social distancing uh, meant segregating meals. You know, we always provide three meals a day and two snacks. Now what it might mean is family A eats from 5.30 to 6 o'clock. Family B eats from 6 o'clock to 6.30 um, or something similar to that. Mm-hmm. You know, segregating group activities because we still got a number of children in the shelter so we want to make sure that in light of their inability to go to school, and for many of our kids, they don't have Chromebooks. Now, they don't have computers. They can't even hook up with their school. Right. You know, do, so do you have an sure education person there who, who helps them out a little bit? We do. We do. We've got a couple of uh, child, can- child parent advocates. Uh, we have one child parent advocate specialist um, who really works with the schools. Um, and work with the kids in that regard. And we do have a computer lab uh, upstairs, and we also have one uh, down in the children's area. But I'm going to be frank and candid here, guys. Our stuff is outdated. I mean, our, our, our computer lab, um, our computer equipment, um, it's, not, it's not top of line. But it's, it's good enough for us to keep mm-hmm. kids connected. No, I want to I um, make a comment here, Sylvia. I want, I want to do a commercial for you because... There are a lot of wonderful groups out there that need financial assistance, especially in times of crisis, but especially in times when there's nothing going on. And everybody likes to donate to large facilities. When you're talking about people's lives, when you're talking about them being able to make a change for the better, to not only better themselves, but to stay alive and uh, their children, to protect their children— you know, it's extremely important to support groups like the Women's Safe House. And how much does it cost to, you know, purchase a Chromebook? Or how much does it cost to do certain things that would allow the, um, uh, the whole facility to be more proactive for their mission? You know, I, I encourage people to really look at how they're giving. I'm not questioning how you're giving uh, or whether you're giving, but, you know, just take a step back and really think about who has a real big need at this point. You know, we've got some wonderful charities, and we all know that here in this community, but we also have a great community of, of givers, donors, people who are generous. You know, so I, 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 appreciate, um, I appreciate that because uh, it can make a difference. You know, four, three, four, five Chromebooks, um, could make a difference at the Women's Safe House. You know, we're a small nonprofit, although we're the largest provider of domestic violence services in the St. Louis community with 55 beds. Um, we're still a small nonprofit compared to some of the big guys, you know. And, and yeah, the big guys um, are organizations that serve many, many more people than we do, um, but the need is still great. Um, so, you know, during COVID-19 and throughout COVID-19, we've been open 
365 24-7. We've not closed our doors. Um, part of our efforts involved, um, as, as with all organizations, uh, paring down to that essential team, that team of dedicated women and men, because there are men who work at the house, uh, dedicated women and men who are just going to be make sure that they get those meals, to make sure that that crisis line is answered. And so you know, we're, we're going to come back to that uh, after the break. So uh, hold that thought, folks. This is Arnold Strickland with Mark Langston of St. Louis In Tune. You're listening to KWRH 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Welcome back to St. Louis In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We're talking to Sylvia Jackson. She's the executive director of the Women's Safe House. And Sylvia, why don't, uh, sorry to interrupt you right before the break, why don't you continue that thought that you had uh, that you were talking to us about? Right. Um, so, you know, we were kind of talking about how COVID-19 has, you know, affected our service delivery system. Um, you know, a lot of times what people don't think about, and this has been, guys, kind of like the hardest thing for me, Every time I would hear someone say, oh, well, you know, stay at home, um, shelter in place, um, you know, it, 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 home is, you know, the best place to be, um, I would cringe, you know, because I know that safe is not home. home is not safe for many of the women and kids. And so, you know, what we've had to do um, is, you know, provide additional quarantine tips. Um, on our website about what you can do if you do um, find yourself in an abusive situation where you are being beaten, um, you know, and you need to stay at home, you know. So that's in addition to, you know, running the shelter and making sure that, you know, we're doing two or three times a day um, 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 health checks, you know, checking people's temperatures uh, two or three times a day, increasing cleaning protocol. Um, you know, it's basically, you know, um, advising people to, um, you know, shower and bathe more often, uh, wash your hands. Um, all of those things um, are things that we need to do to get through COVID-19. But they can be difficult, you know, for people who, um, you know, feel like, you know, they're already living communally and now you're telling me, you know, how many more times a day um, I need to do this or you need to take my temperature every time I come in and out the door. Um, increasing the curfew to 6 p.m., uh, not allowing people to leave the facility for longer than two hours. You know, all of those things are invasive and they are difficult, but they are things that we've had to um, ask people to do that are that are living in shelters. So I wanted to, <coughs> excuse me, I wanted to just give a little shout out to the Safe House staff. I'm sorry, guys. <coughs> <laughs> because they've been doing an amazing job. Well, and they, they have, you know, it's it's so important with, um, you know, a, a staff that's doing this kind of work when nothing's going on, you know, but when you have, it's just like teachers. My wife's a teacher. And when you add this extra layer or layers of, things that are going on where you have to do things by distance, you have to go out of a different kind of routine, you know, uh, things slow down. You know, I thought about when you were talking about the, um, uh, specifically when people were eating, I I can see a huge benefit with, with people talking as a group, you know, 
and mm-hmm. and that that's that's so important that they they have a quote unquote my my words now a family time, and now that's that's not the case. That's not going to be occurring, and that's that's something that's so important for. Uh, people who are going through any situation, but the, the staff that that you're talking about, you know, hats off to people who are really the ins and outs of all of these things. I'm not dismissing what you're doing, Sylvia, because you have to, uh, and I know you're acknowledging them, and, and I I greatly appreciate that. I think that's that's a big thing for any leader to do that for the people who are who are doing the work like that. Uh, but they they are really taking the brunt. But I know you're a hands-on person, and you go in there and do those things to make their job uh, smoother also. Yeah, we do the best we can along with our board of directors who are um, also intimately involved. I mean, I, ha- I just finished a, um, every Friday morning. We have a COVID-19 update with the committee of the board, and this has been every Friday for weeks. Um, wow. You know, but you know, you hit on something when you talked about being able to share a meal because our meals are served family style. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we kind of pride ourselves on. Um, you know, that we are able to serve those meals family style, and and now we're not doing it. You know, um, so you know, isolation is one of the things that domestic violence victims and survivors are familiar with. You know, because many times. As I indicated, the perpetrator is trying to control her, you know, or, or him, you know, because it does happen um, to men. And so it's all about power and control, right, um, and isolation, making sure that their support systems are seen, that you, you don't have family members and friends that, that you can talk to, you know, that, that, that can help you that are in your corner. Um, and now we're doing it more. Um, in an environment that um, has a reputation for being a nurturing environment. And we're saying, okay, you know, no more than the next number of people, you know, can eat um, at a certain time. You know, no more than X number of people can go out of the door at a certain time. And even though the crisis calls for that, you know, those folks that are providing those services who are also stressed out, you know, uh, afraid, um, have to do it with a trauma-informed lens. You know, they still have to be able to say, okay, we need to make sure that we're doing this in a manner that recognizes that women and kids are, are you know, are, are trauma survivors that are here, and we need to make sure that we deliver these services in a trauma-informed way, um, which is, again, why, you know, I'm saying, I shout out not just Women's Safe House, you know, St. Martha's Hall, mm-hmm. you know, Peter and Paul, um, all those organizations whose people are 24 7, 365. Yeah. I want to recognize that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. There's a lot of people out there trying to meet the need that's out there for the, for the woman or the man, because as you uh, aptly stated, domestic violence occurs to men also. It's, it's not as prevalent. But for, for the, those folks out there who are in the situation, developing some kind of safety plan for themselves and for their children, if they have children, about uh, leaving the situation that they're in, uh, what what they should do now, what they should do before they leave, after they leave. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, that's so important. You know, um, everyone who comes to the safe house, even if they just call the hotline for prevention counseling, we try to make sure they have a safety plan. And each safety plan is individualized. So there is no cookie cutter. You know, we're not saying that the safety plan for your teenager is the same as the safety plan for your four-year-old, you know, or the safety plan for you is the same as the safety plan for me. 
Um, but it is, in, it is important that you have a safety plan. And during the COVID-19, during the pandemic, um, what we've put in our quarantine tips is that, you know, making sure that um, you have um, uh, some sort of, and we've kind of likened it to a fire drill, an escape plan, you know, if you would, so that you and your kids can get out of the house if you need to. Identifying um, a neighbor, you know, that, um, you know, if, if I turn my porch light on and off, that means I'm in trouble. You know, um, we still tell people, call 911. Because one of the things that I heard um, the other day is that the police recognize that domestic violence is continuing and probably is on the uptick um, during COVID-19. You know, all the compounded stressors of um, lack of employment, um, hunger, um, you know, not knowing whether or not I'm going to have a job, unable to pay my rent, on my utilities, things like that. Uh, those stressors are going to add to and can exacerbate um, feelings of anger, uh, feelings of insecurity, um, and they can lead to um, a violent situation. They are not the cause of a violent situation, but they can lead to it. So the safety plan for us is it could be something for you as simple as I'm going to put a number for the women's safe house in my phone, but I'm going to call it Annette. You know, I'm just going to make up a friend's name, Annette, and if I call Annette, I call this number, he can't look in my mm-hmm. phone, you know, and see that I called the women's safe house, you know, or safe connection. You know, he'll be able to see just that I called Annette, you know. And mm-hmm. so those are the kinds of things that, and that's the way in which a safety plan um, can look different during COVID-19. But it's important to have that plan because, Mark, I don't know uh, if, if – we mentioned, and if we did, it's worth repeating, one in three women will experience some form of domestic violence within their lifetime, one in three. Mm-hmm. And, and every nine seconds, a woman is physically assaulted by an intimate partner in the United States. That is, it's just so outrageous to think that. It's yeah. so outrageous to think yeah, that. That's, outrageous is a good one. That's a good way to describe it, guys, because it is outrageous. Um, and, but it, it's our reality in this country, and um, COVID-19 has pulled the covers back, if you would, um, on a lot of inequalities in this um, in our nation, um, you know, relative to healthcare access and some other things, but um, domestic violence is something that, um, it's not warm and fuzzy. People don't want to talk about it. Um, you know, people don't want, you know, they, you know, they, they don't want to hear about it. But the thing is, we have to tackle it. You know, we, we, we have to eliminate violence, and we have to know um, violence against women, and we have to know how to intervene. I think at the last program I talked about bystander intervention and, right. you know, what's the best way to intervene in violence. And, you know, one of the things that we always want to guard people against is you need to arm yourself with information about domestic violence and not think, you know, I can just go over there and stop it. You know, you, 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 can, you should arm yourself about it. You should learn how to intervene. Um, and most of all, if nothing else, just believe her. You know, if she tells you, you know, hey, he's been hitting me. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I think he might hurt me. Um, he's, you know, he's threatened or she's threatened to kill me. Believe her. Believe him. That's, that's the least you can do. And it doesn't cost you any money to do that. Now, this is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in tune. We're talking to Sylvia Jackson, executive director of the Women's Safe House. And Sylvia, I wanted to mention um, before we got too much farther, and uh, we're going to be running out of time here in about uh, 
10 or 12 minutes, how a victim feels in this, that many times there's a guilt associated, like, I have to stay with this person, um, you know, that that's that control that they're exercising, but there's a lot of fault that they place upon themselves personally, that they are the ones responsible for themselves getting abused. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, that's true. Um, there are lots of feelings of guilt and shame. You know, um, I can't let anybody know, um, you know, that I, I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm being beaten, you know, or, or you know, I'm being controlled. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times what we hear from women is that, you know, I stay because of my kids. You know, I won't be able to financially support the children, you know, and that's kind of one of those things where women stay because of the kids, but women also leave because of the kids, you know, once they see you know, that um, the kids are suffering, that they are not able to grow developmentally, you know, that they're always on edge and anxious. Um, and during COVID-19, we, we also um, put some tips on uh, that we received from the Children's Services Fund on how to work with your kids when you're in a domestic violence situation and you see that they are anxious, you know, um, you know COVID-19, and, and then they look at you um, and they see that, you know, you're upset, and, you know, kids, you know, they're like sponges. Um, you know, they yes. kind of can see that and, and, and feed on that a little bit. But a lot of times victims, um, you know, find themselves in a situation where they've been isolated for so long that they begin to question, you know, whether or not this is really happening, whether or not this is really abuse. <clears throat> and then, in addition to that, there's always the, the honeymoon phase. You know, batterers don't batter all the time. You know, there are times in a relationship where it's all good, right? And mm-hmm. so yep. a lot of times we feed on that. You know, we're just like, if I can just get through this, if I could just do better, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's because the burden is on, is, on, is on the victim, right? When in fact, and society does that too, because society, you know, says, why doesn't she just leave? Right. You know, as if that's the right question, because the right mm-hmm. question is, where does he batter? You know, oh, why does she better? That's exactly you know, right. It's not why doesn't she just leave. That, again, that's, that victim blaming um, uh-huh. makes it really, really difficult for victims to move from victim to survivor. Uh-huh. And if, if you are in a situation, there is a crisis intervention hotline. It's 314-772-4535. 314-772-4535. And we will post that some some last think, words uh, go ahead Arnold, Mark. i think if you if if you know someone that is in that situation uh get the number get some contact information and give it to that person uh i can just I, i'm just speechless in this whole interview because it's such a need to help these uh women and these children these families but i think you know if you want to help uh, you know not only financially but Get the information that you can and make sure you help. If you see it happening, the one in three uh, women or families are going through this, you know, say, hey, here's a, here's a number. Call this number sometime, you know. And you got to support them, I think, that way, too. I I think a lot of battered right. women and, and families are probably, she's fighting for her life and her children, and she's not listening to this radio show, unfortunately, maybe she is, uh, you know, she's maybe not looking for that. She's just trying to survive and make it through day to day. So I think some people that 
I know a lot don't have, like you said, don't have a, a support system. But, you know, I want to urge those people that can see it for what it is, you know, to try to intervene a little bit, do do the right thing and, and you know, say, here's, here's a number, you know, and then back off or whatever. But I think trying to help some of these victims um, become survivors, I think, is is where we can help as well. Okay. And, and Sylvia, how can how can people help by volunteering? Oh gosh, you you, you just read my mind. Um, I was <laughs> yeah. about to say the other thing too is um, we've got a um, United Way certified volunteer program, um, and we've had a United Way um, certified volunteer program for many many years now. Um, volunteering um, at a um, a safe house. Um, or um, a domestic violence shelter um, requires, obviously, some additional training, uh, training around confidentiality, you know, um, you know, making sure that confidentiality of location is being respected. Um, and so it's a little bit different from just showing up and, you know, sorting clothes because um, that is important, and we need volunteers to do that as well. But one of the ways that the St. Louis community can help um, is through volunteering, you know, coming in, going through our volunteer program, um, and volunteering at the house to help. Um, sometimes volunteers come in the form of students, and not just um, college students, but also students in high school. Um, volunteers come in many forms. You know, a lot of times they're like women's groups or senior groups or boys' clubs, girls' clubs. Um, they just want to do a project on site, you know, for the children that, um, that are in shelter. Um, sewing groups, um, you know, we've got an um, on-site um, uh, sewing area, um, and we've had some great um, volunteers to support us with, um, you know, sewing masks and making masks for um, the women, uh, kids, and staff, because, you know, every shift, um, you're wearing a mask, and we're, we've asked all of the residents to wear masks um, in any of the common areas. Um so there are so many ways that volunteers can help. Um, you know, at the House of Crisis Intervention Hotline. You know, that requires some extensive training, but volunteers um, can serve on the hotline, uh, provide, um, you know, some of that critical support um, to save a life. And, you know, I say that and people are like, oh, gosh, you know, you're acting like they call the hotline, they could save a life. It could save a life. Mm-hmm. You know, if people are unsure. It, it really could get somebody, you know, out of a domestic violence situation. Um, and we've heard people say that once they get to the house, you know, that, that, that coming here, getting out and coming here actually did save my life. If, if people are unsure about what, what to do to volunteer, they could call and say, hey, I'm available. I don't know what the greatest need is or this is my background. How can I best fit in with the skill set that I have to assist you and assist these women and children in this way? Would that be uh, acceptable absolutely. to you guys? That's a, absolutely. That's just the way to do it. Hey, just call, you know. A, you know, our volunteer person can assess, you know, where your skill sets are, you know, or sometimes you already know, you know, you're, hey, I, you know, I just want to come in one day a week and, and help you sort through the clothing because we do get a lot of donations. Um, assistance to individuals, donations are huge for us as well. Um, and I'm going to be very honest with you, you know, right now with COVID-19, we're not taking in um, any donations, really. I mean, we still have a couple of food donations, um, but we're basically not taking them in because, you know, there's so much of a process around uh, making sure that, you know, nothing is alive on, the, on those donations. Um, and we mm-hmm. have a small essential staff. Um, but assist, right. assistance to individuals, you know, um, 
nipping, Mark, I know that people don't think about, you know, pillows, you know, um, you know, mm. everybody who leaves, they, we don't keep their pillows. They, they actually take those pillows with them. Everybody gets a brand new pillow. Um, you know, so a pillow drive, you know, That's it's something. Um, can you imagine how much linen we go through? Um, in a year, last year, we served 324 women and kids. Mm. Okay. We turned away another 960 or 970 because the shelter was full. And do they go to yeah, the other yeah. shelters? Is that where we hope they do? Well, you know what? Our case managers are pretty good, um, and they're going to link you to another shelter if there's space. Right. You know? Um, and in this community, as I indicated at the beginning of this interview, there's just not enough shelter space. <sighs> hmm. That's just, you know, and and I think about the city, and I, this is reflecting back on the previous interview, Sylvia, where I, you think about the hard times we're having here in this area. You just think about outstate Missouri or rural areas in rural oh, United God. States where these similar situations happen, but the services are nowhere near what we're offering, and we can't even take uh, anybody else. That yeah. just that just so, blows um, my mind. That. Yeah, the rural areas, um, we talk about that, and we talk about, you know, we try to have a pretty open network, and I would say that in um, the St. Louis community, it's got a pretty tight network of domestic violence survivors all the way through to maybe Warrington or some of the outlying communities. But, you know, you've got to think about Franklin County. You've got to think about some of the other areas um, where um, women have nowhere to go. You know, there, there's no place for them to go. Um, and um, so when I get up every day, um, and go in to do my work, um, I'm not thinking about, oh, gosh, although sometimes I do, oh, gosh, I got so much to do. You know, I'm thinking about how can I help somebody today? Oh, yeah. You know, what, what can I do to help somebody today? And um, believe you me, even if it's just like a smile or, um, you know, I can get some water for you. I can, you know, make sure that, you know, your kids don't like what we're serving today. Let me see if I can find something else. That's what um, people who work in emergency shelters, that's what we do. Yeah. Well, I would encourage folks out there in listener land to, what are you going to do to help in these kinds of situations? Because there's a great need when there's nothing going on, but there's an even greater need in a situation like we're going through with COVID-19. I want to repeat the number for the 24-hour intervention hotline. This is the Crisis Intervention Hotline, 314-772-4535, 314-772-4535. Sylvia, it's been great to have you on again. We need to do a regular segment with you to kind of keep up with this. And I would love that. I, I think that would be very helpful because this is an issue that needs to stay on the forefront and the front burner for people to make sure that they're uh, thinking about it, noticing things, trying to assist in whatever way they can. So much, guys. Mark, Arnold, um, the Webster Grove listeners, those who are out the entire community that are that are tuning in. Um, it's just fantastic to be able to share uh, with your listening audience. Um, you know what's happening at the Women's Safe House or what's happening in our community around um, the issues and sexual assault. So thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us today, Sylvia. You take care. Bless you, Sylvia. Right. Thank you.